With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash acquire. That's linkedin.com slash acquire. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome to Money for the Rest of Us, a podcast on money, investing, the economy, and why they matter. I'm your host, David Stein. Today is episode 12. It's titled, Currency Trading, Petrodollars, and Monetary Collapse. Now, you typically don't put currency trading, which is, is investing based on the movements of one currency relative to another, such as the dollar compared to the yen, or the dollar to the euro, or even the euro to the yen, or all the different currencies, and lump that with monetary collapse, which would be a complete breakdown in the value of a dollar or some other currency relative to something else. And then there's this whole term of petrodollars, which a, a week ago... I hadn't heard of, or if I had heard of it, I didn't remember what it was. And, and this particular term came up in a Facebook conversation I had with a friend. He had posted an article from Zero Hedge, and he wanted me to comment on it, and I, I gave him some comment. But in some of the, as we went back and forth, as he had some questions, he was really worried about this petrodollar system, and, and if it collapsed, that it, it could ruin us in the United States. And I thought, well, that, that seems quite kind of dire, so I, I needed, I'm going to research that some more. And instead of going ahead and, and doing another Facebook comment, I said I'd write about it this week in my, my newspaper article, which I, I do in the local paper here on personal finance. And so I thought it'd be a great topic for the podcast. I want to talk about currency trading because, interestingly, in the last year, I've had a number of email conversations with individuals in developing countries such as Kenya, Bangladesh, and they both commented that they're really into forex trading or or currency trading. And I, I thought, that's odd. And, and I I looked into that a little more and it turns out that in the last just in the last year, in twenty thirteen, the number of trades, currency trade by retail investors, so individuals like you and I increased 41% last year. And, and they, they increased the year before that. And, and there appears to be this mass movement by individual investors into currency trading. And, and that, that concerns me because I've traded currencies, and, and I'll share a little bit about my experience with you. But if there is an area of investing that has to be the most complicated with the with the most amount of players with different agendas, it has to be currency trading. When you buy a stock, most people that buy stocks are are there because they think the stock's going to go up. It'd be that institutional investors such as hedge funds, individual investors, could be the company management. They're all buying it, and the idea is that the stock will go up. Now you have a segment that hopes it'll go down, so they're shorting the stock, but. There's not multiple agendas, but when it comes to currency trading, there are, there are different players in the market. The, fir- the foremost are, are banks. The, the top four banks involved in currency trading are Deutsche Bank, UBS City, and Barclays. They control half the market. 
and, and they're facilitating trades for their clients, but they're also trading for themselves. And so when, when, you're, when you get involved in currency trading, you have to realize that half the market is for very, very large banks. And there was a term, I don't know if they use it anymore, but there's a term we used to use in the investment business when dealing, hedge fund used to use it a lot when, when referring to dealing with some of these big Wall Street banks. They, they, they said that they are always wary in dealing with those banks because more likely than not, they're going to get their face ripped off. So they were very, very wary. Yet they control half the currency exchange market. Now, the other players in the currency trade exchange market are businesses. If I'm running a business and I'm selling overseas, they, if I sold a bunch uh, of things to Japan, let's say I have all these yens, I want to convert it back to dollars, I'm going to go to the foreign exchange market and convert my yens to dollars. Just like if you travel overseas, go to Mexico, which isn't overseas, from the United States, coming from Europe, going to Mexico would be, I guess, and you want to exchange your particular home currency to pesos, you can go to a currency exchange booth, which I don't recommend. I would recommend you just go to an ATM and withdraw the pesos. Your bank, you'll get a better exchange rate when you use an ATM when you travel. And, but you've essentially exchanged it. Well, businesses do the same thing. So many businesses, they're not exchanging currencies because they're trading it. They just need to do it as part of their ordinary business. Then you have the actual institutional traders, the hedge funds and the just institutional, the, the trade currency. They're making a bet that a given currency, say the dollar will strengthen or the dollar will weaken or the yen relative to the pound. And, and they're actually involved trading securities. A fourth would be central banks who have their own political agenda. If they believe their currency is weakening, they might go and into the market, into the foreign exchange market, and buy the currency and cause it to strengthen. And, and so they're involved, and they're not out there to make money. They just want to support the currency. So you have all these players, and then finally it would be an individual investor who is sitting there at their computer using some type of electronic trading platform and, and buying a, a currency. And so when, if you choose to do that, you have to realize you're, you're competing with all these other players, the big Wall Street banks, businesses, hedge funds, and, and the biggest bank of all, central banks, such as the Federal Reserve. So here's this individual in Kenya deciding they, they are really passionate about forex trading. And, and one reason you're seeing such interest is the dollar amount that you need to actually trade in currencies is very, very small. I mean, I, I, I was looking at one trading platform and it seems like you could bet as little and, and notice how you use the word bet and not invest. And, and there's, there's the distinction there. I didn't really, that just came out, but effectively when you, are dealing and trading currencies, 
it, in many regards, it's just like betting. It's just like gambling, and, I, and I'll tell you why here in a minute. Actually, let me go ahead and explain it now. Here's, here's how I differentiate betting or gambling versus investing. Investing means having a point of view, having some type of investment thesis. Even if that investment thesis is, I believe that I've, relying on history, that the stock market has gone up over time, and, and while I'm not making a specific prediction in terms of a, a company, I'm going to be a buy and hold investor, I'm going to invest in the stock market, because I'm relying on history, and, and there's enough history suggests the stock market will go up over time. I'm not suggesting you do that, but there, there are many investors. I mean, that's somewhat of a kind of a naive thesis, but it is a thesis. Or if you are buying an individual stock and, you, and you're not just buying it because you think it's going to go up, but you're buying it because you believe they're introducing a new product and the market hasn't really realized how successful this product is going to be. I talked about this in episode three, should you invest in individual stocks? And I talked about having some type of informational edge, some type of advantage over all of these participants. When you go back to the foreign exchange market, if you believe and you're, you're taking, let's say, this individual in Kenya, they, they believe for whatever reason, the dollar is going to weaken relative to the euro and they and she invests or bets her amount of money. Why? I mean, that, that should be your next question. Why do you believe that the dollar is going to strengthen or weaken? What is your point of view? The next step beyond point of view is what, what do you have some type of informational edge to justify that? Again, if you are going long a, a specific currency because you think it's going to appreciate, keep in mind there are big Wall Street banks on the other side of the trade. There are hedge funds. Perhaps there are other businesses doing their, their normal transaction. And then you have what central banks are doing. And, and let me give you an example of a viewpoint. When I, back in 2012, I decided, all right, I'm going to try currency trading. And I was following what was going on in the European Union, and it seemed pretty clear that Greece would, would most likely exit the Eurozone, at least participation in, in the Euro, sometime by the end of 2012. And, and I didn't, I believe that, but I also subscribe to an extremely well-regarded economics service called Capital Economics based in London, and that was their point of view also. And they were, were quite forceful in their view that the, the euro was going to weaken substantially. And so I went in and I actually didn't, I didn't go directly into the Forex market, but I bought options on the, the particular dollar-euro exchange rate, thinking that the euro would weaken. That was my point of view. And in my time frame was six months. So if you have a point of view, you got to think, okay, when will that occur? Six months, so by the end of the year. This was sort of mid-year 2012. And at the time, the euro was, it was one euro for $1.24. So $1.24 per euro. And, and my, I would start making money if the euro weakened to one twenty, or, or one euro for $1.20. 
and, and one of the things with, with which gets really confusing with currencies and and I get confused and even somebody like Bill Gross who runs one of the biggest bond man funds in the world gets confused he sent out a tweet where he confused strength and versus weaken it can get confusing but the, the point is $1.20 was my number. If the euro weakened below $1.20, I'd start making money. That was my viewpoint. Everything was going well. It was weakening a little bit. And then one of the big players, the central bank, European central bank, Mario Draghi, said that he, as a central bank and the ECB, would do whatever it takes to keep the eurozone intact and not have anyone leave. And at that point, the euro started to strengthen, and I said, there's no way it's going to happen. I closed out my trade. So, but that was my point of view, and it was wrong. And I didn't lose very much money, but I lost a little bit. Now, contrast that with how somebody typically trades on one of these, these electronic platforms. They don't have a view, other than they believe a currency is going to strengthen or weaken. Their time frame might be 60 seconds. That's gambling because there, there is no fundamental viewpoint for why something will change in price in the next 60 seconds other than it, it might or you believe it would. And, and that's where it, currency trading it can be very, very dangerous because it's levered. You can use leverage and if you don't have a viewpoint and, and your time frame is very short, how is that any different than, than gambling? And the studies show that only 30% of currency trade by retail investors is successful. 70% of the time they're wrong and they lose money. 30% of the time they make money. Now, perhaps one is a brilliant trader and when they make money, they make a lot. And when they lose, they lose a little. But it, it can be a very, very dangerous game because you're competing with all of these other players. And, and that's not even getting into what drives currency rates over the long term, how interest rates impact that, how just momentum within the economy. And so I'm not suggesting and saying you shouldn't invest in currencies or trade currencies. I just wouldn't put very much money in it because it's ultimately a loser's game because it's just so competitive with these other players, particularly hedge funds, the Wall Street banks, and then just the central bankers who issue the currency. If they want to step into the market, they'll do it. And finally, as I said, nobody can have a fundamental viewpoint or a competitive edge of what's going to happen within 60 seconds or even five minutes or even within one day. It's random, ultimately random. Let me pause here to share some words from this week's sponsors. When you're hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to help find the right professionals for your team faster and for free. I know in our business, having the right candidates for the job is critical to keep our business running smoothly. Now, LinkedIn isn't just another job board. LinkedIn has a vast network of more than a billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire. It gives you access to professionals you can't find anywhere else. LinkedIn does all that while making the process easy and intuitive. Hiring is easy when you have that many quality candidates. 
So easy, in fact, that 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. LinkedIn is constantly finding ways to make the process easier. They even just launched a feature that helps you write job descriptions, making the process even easier and quicker. So post your job for free at linkedin.com slash David. That's linkedin.com slash David to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Sometimes it's just nice to sit back, relax, maybe even take a nap. That's not what you want your money to be doing. You want it to be working hard for you, earning interest, generating returns. That's where the Betterment Automated Investing and Savings app can help. Betterment's technology gives you advanced tools that are built to help you maximize returns. They have diversified portfolios of low-cost ETFs that have been constructed by experts. High-yield cash accounts, where your money can earn 11 times the national average and automated investing technology like automated rebalancing. These tools can help you reach your savings and investing goals. Betterment is a fiduciary. That means it's their job to act in your best interest. They will never recommend an investment or give you guidance unless they believe it will help you reach your financial goals. So visit Betterment.com to get started. Learn more about the high-yield cash accounts at Betterment.com. Investing involves risk, performance not guaranteed, Cash reserves offered through Betterment LLC and Betterment Securities. Betterment is not a bank. And as you think about it, even, even my viewpoint that the euro was going to weaken because Greece would exit the European Union, there wasn't a whole lot of basis for that other than this economic service thought that was going to happen. I, I kind of followed the event, but I didn't have an informational edge. I had no type of advantage over the other players in the market. I, when it comes down to it, I thought the euro was going to weaken. I'm no different than somebody that thought it weakened over 60 seconds, other than mine was over six months. And so I don't trade currencies anymore. My recommendation is you don't do it either, but if you do, use a small amount of money. Let's talk about monetary collapse and the petrodollar. What does it take for a currency to collapse? Well, because currencies always trade relative to each other, so the dollar versus the euro, if the dollar is going to collapse, that means it has to collapse or fall relative to some other currency. If the dollar collapses precipitously, that means the euro just appreciated precipitously or some other currency. What does it take for a currency to collapse? It means nobody wants to hold it. And everybody's rushing to sell the currency and there isn't anyone coming in to buying it or, or not as many people buying it and so it falls in value. The petrodollar system was this concept that after the U.S. went off the gold standard in the early 70s, President Nixon structured an agreement with Saudi Arabia that Saudi Arabia would only sell oil to any customer in dollars. They had to pay with dollars. And, and after that, some of the other OPEC nations also agreed that they were going to sell oil only in dollars. And now, even today... You can, if you're going to go buy a barrel of oil from the Saudis or some other of the oil exporters, you have to pay in dollars. And, and so that's what a petrodollar is. It's t and, and in exchange, the U.S. was going to provide Saudi Arabia military hardware protection, etc. 
The fear is that because oil is sold only in dollars, that that puts an artificial floor on the dollar, artificial demand, because all, all the other activity in trading regarding the dollar, all the exports and all the other products are denominated in dollars because country, countries need dollars in order to buy oil. And all that it would take would be the exporters to say, in OPEC, we're not going to sell oil in dollars anymore. We're going to denominate it in whatever currency you want. That will cause the dollar to crash and dollars would flood into the U.S. have so many dollars chasing a limited amount of supply of goods and services, so inflation or even hyperinflation would come. The Federal Reserve would have to, to try to fight that inflation by jumping interest rates dramatically, and it, it, the dollar would effectively collapse. I get very, very wary whenever there is some type of economic phenomena, a trend that is attributed to only a few players. Companies don't decide to price their goods in dollars because oil is only sold in dollars. Only 20% of exports in the world or global trade is oil related. 80% is non-oil related. It's manufactured items, it's cars, it's textiles, it's other chemicals. And so this theory is everybody's pricing their stuff in dollars because of these oil exporters? I don't think so. Here's what the academic studies say. Companies price their goods in the currency that the companies are going to export their goods. They're going to price their goods in whatever their competitors are using. If their competitors are using dollars, they're going to price it in dollars. Because if the companies choose to price it in some other currency, as the currencies fluctuate, then their prices of their products go up and down all the time. And that confuses their, their customers. And so, so many goods are priced in dollars because after World War II, most exports were from the United States as, they, as we sought to rebuild the world. And so the U.S. had a first mover advantage. As new entrants came into the market, they also priced their goods in dollars. And so most goods, including oil, were priced in dollars. And, the rea then, and so also the U.S. has the deepest, most liquid financial markets. And so if exporters have dollars that they receive from selling their goods, if they want, they can invest it in the U.S. Or they could exchange the currency. Most, as I mentioned earlier, 85% of, of foreign exchange transactions involve the dollar. And, and that's, so the dollar's markets are deep, they're liquid, many companies price their goods in dollars because that's what their competitors are doing. And, and so this idea that if OPEC decides they're no longer going to price in dollars that the dollar will crash because nobody wants dollars is ludicrous because individuals are not using the dollars because the oil companies. And here's why it's not going to happen. Even though the dollar is the predominant global currency, 60% of central banks, their reserves are in dollars, 75% of $100 bills are overseas. Half of $50 bills are overseas. Individuals are using dollars just to do transactions. And yet, despite the dominance of the dollar in the past 10 years, the euro has stepped up to take 35% of foreign trade is conducted in euros. 
I'm sorry, 38% is conducted in euros. The dollar foreign trade, only 35%. In other words, more trade is done in euros than there are done in dollars. And that's because the, Euro the Europeans control or they export, 35% of products that are exported come from Europe. And much of that trade is done within the European Union itself. And so because of that, they use the euro. And only 13% of exports are from the U.S. now. And so the euro has come up out of nowhere. Well, not out of nowhere, but it, it is the people have gradually, individually, bottom-up, made decisions what currency to use for their products. More and more are using the euro. And the dollar hasn't collapsed. And we don't have inflation because of that. And so you can have more than one major reserve currency. Those are the two big ones, the euro at 38%. The dollar at 35 percent then you have all the other smaller currencies and but it's not done because of oil exporters we've had this major transition in terms of trade and what currency is used and yet the the exchange rates adjusted gradually and you've not had a dollar collapse in order for the dollar collapse people have to rush to some other currency and who's it going to be which currency it's a concept of who has the cleanest, dirty shirt. All the economies and countries have their challenges. The Europeans, Union has its challenges, China has its challenges, the U.S. has its challenges, and so it's all relative to each other. Let's return to the central question. What would happen if the OPEC nations and other oil exporters decided tomorrow that they were going to accept any currency for the oil? It just didn't have to be sold in dollars. And then the dollar started to weaken because there was some demand for the dollar in order to buy oil. Well, what would happen is one of those major players in the currency exchange market that we talked about earlier, the central bank, in this case the Federal Reserve, would step in and start buying those dollars that the other individuals or businesses or whoever were selling for an order because they didn't need it to buy oil. And... So what would they use to buy those dollars? Well, they would use the euros. Where would the Federal Reserve get the euros? The European Central Bank would gladly lend the Federal Reserve euros in order to support the dollar. Because if the dollar is weakening, that means the euro is strengthening and the Chinese yuan is strengthening, which means their exports becoming less competitive. And since the U.S. runs a huge trade deficit and imports billions and billions of dollars from China and Europe, it's in the Europe and it's in China's interest that the dollar not weaken or crash. And so they'll do anything they can to prevent that, including lending money to the U.S. Federal Reserve so that they can step into the foreign exchange markets and support the dollar. You would not have a dollar crash as those that believe in the petrodollar theory worry about. That is episode 12, Currency Trading, Petrodollars, and Monetary Collapse. You can, you can find the show notes for this episode, including links to some of the academic articles that I did not mention by name, but discuss this topic. Those can be found at moneyfortherestofus.net. You can also reach me with questions you might have on this or some of the other topics, or if you have suggestions for future podcast episodes you, that I can be reached at, you can email me at jd at jdavidstein.com or via Twitter 
The, my Twitter ID is at JD Stein. I appreciate those that left reviews this week. If you can go on to iTunes and rank the iTunes by giving it some stars, perhaps leaving a review, you can even do that on Stitcher. The, the reason why that's such a great thing is certainly I like to receive the feedback, but even if you don't like the podcast and you want to leave a review, it actually helps the rankings within iTunes and Stitcher, and that allows more people to discover the podcast and hopefully get uh, a little more education on money investing in the economy. Just an example review this week to show you how short it can be. TG Popso, I hope I'm pronouncing that right, left the review Great Perspective. David has a great perspective of money and how it can serve us in pursuit of happiness rather than becoming our master. I look forward to each new podcast for fresh insights. I appreciate that. And again, reach out to me with any comments you might have, jd at jdavidstein.com. Just as a reminder, everything I've shared on this podcast is for general education only. I've not considered your specific risk profile nor provided any type of investment advice. General education only, and hopefully you enjoyed it. Next time, episode 13.